Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us again on the PCICS podcast, the official podcast of the Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Society. My name is Raj Sahuli, and I'm a cardiac intensivist at NYU School of Medicine in the Hassenfeld Children's Hospital. I'm also a member of the PCICS podcasting committee. Today, I have the opportunity to speak with Ali Rippey and Alexandra Fisher from Austin Dell Children's Hospital. They presented their work on chronic pain in the adult congenital heart disease population at the Joint Pediatric Critical Care International meeting in London this past December. This meeting was a joint endeavor of PCICS, PICS, the Pediatric Intensive Care Society of the UK, and the European Conference on Pediatric and Neonatal Cardiac Intensive Care. Thank you so much, Ali and Alexandra, for joining me. So please let us know a little bit about your project and poster. Sure. So thank you first for having us. We submitted to the Challenging Cases submission, and our project was focused on a multidisciplinary approach to chronic pain in the adult congenital heart patient. So our focus was on a 23-year-old male, status post his Fontan procedure, who presented to our cardiac surgery clinic with a three-year history of chronic chest pain that had led to severe debilitation and lifestyle disturbance. And we thought this was a really important case to present to everybody because there's 1.4 million adults living with congenital heart disease today. And we know that chronic pain is a recognized association with adult congenital heart disease, but it continues to be underestimated and undertreated. In looking into this case, it was really important for us to distinguish between organic pain and non-organic pain, because this patient had characteristics of both different types of pain that really played into each other, making it difficult for us to identify the exact cause of his pain. The reason we thought it would be important to address chronic pain in this young man is because we know from a, a large body of research that chronic pain is associated with reduced physical activity, which could also affect cardiac functioning, increased sleep disturbances, mood disturbances. It affects productivity in the workplace. It restricts leisure time and social contacts and can affect family time. There was also a very specific article I read recently that documented that adults with congenital heart disease found that one of their major concerns, with the, especially when they had pain, was that they were becoming a burden to their family system, which is something this young man also verbalized. So we thought it was very important to address, to use not only physical, not only medical interventions, but psychological interventions. So kind of diving a little bit more into this particular case. So when this patient presented to us, he had been seen multiple times in the ER and at multiple cardiology visits and had very thorough workup with no particular cause of his chest pain. So when he came to us, he described his pain as sharp and intermittent, um, stabbing particularly along the left chest border, which was interesting to us. And in preoperative workup, found that he had several fractured sternal wires, which we thought could be contributing to his pain. So as a team, in association with his adult cardiologist, decided that we would remove his fractured sternal wires in the OR. So shortly thereafter, we took him to the OR, removed his sternal wires, and in in the OR found that he had complete 
rib dislocation from his left sternal cage. So a very significant reason for this pain that he had been experiencing. So may I ask, was there actually any trepidation from the surgical team about going in and doing a re-sternotomy on this patient after a thorough evaluation did not reveal a clear cause? So yes, we ended up we didn't actually have to go all the way through his sternal bone. So that made uh, the operation a little bit less intimidating. Just went in and removed the sternal wires that had been scattered around his sternum. What we did while we were in the OR was re-suture the ribs that were dislocated to his sternum to restabilize, but did not actually have to divide the sternum back open. Excellent, excellent. Can you tell me more about how this patient progressed? Sure. So in um, the coming days, he was started on low-dose gabapentin um, and a little bit of oxycodone and Tylenol postoperatively and had really great pain management over you know, the next several postoperative days. However, he returned to our clinic fairly frequently in the coming weeks with continued debilitating pain. And that led us to believe that this was more than just an organic form of pain. And that's when they consulted me. I'm the psychologist with the congenital heart surgery team. I don't typically see families in follow-up um, due to the uh, volume that we're seeing currently right now. Uh, but Ali contacted me and said, could you please come and see this patient? Uh, so I went up and he was rolled in on a, on a wheelchair because he didn't have enough energy to even walk into the hospital. Uh, so I did an evaluation and, and it revealed some mood disturbances, sleep disturbances. He revealed previous suicidal ideation, which his mother then said that she wished she never knew, which is the less than optimal response to those kind of revelations. So afterwards, evaluating him, I knew I mean, he had depression. And when I tried to offer therapy and a possibly a psychi psychiatric referral, both he and his mother were adamant against that. That's not part of their cultural belief to, to go to therapy or, or use antidepressants. So I, I spoke to Dr. Beckerman and Ali, and I said, you know, I really, really think the way we can engage his family, family is through physical therapy. We need to improve his functionality, and then I'll, I'll participate in physical therapy. So we, uh, we offered that to them, and they were on board. And the good thing about working in a pediatric hospital is a lot of our pediatric therapists work with functional pain. So I contacted them and I said, I really hope you guys can treat him as a functional pain. Don't understand that there's more to his pain than the organic cause. So we need to challenge him, but within the constraints of, of a single ventricle. And they knew exactly what that meant because we've done it in previous with other cases. So he started going to PT um, and I would go every two weeks. And in between uh, squats and lunges that we all did together, um, we would set up behavioral goals and problem solve, and just use the classic CBT techniques to both improve his sleep, increase his sociability, because we elicited his goals for care. And we did that for, I would go every other week because of clinic, so we had to balance that out. And there was a, at one point in our postal, you'll see that there's a point that he, his pain increases. That day, he had one of the best PT sessions. In fact, it was so, his affect was so bright that after he left, the, the therapist and I looked at each other and we're like, I don't know what just happened, but he looks great. And that night he went to the emergency room reporting pain, which was extremely confusing to us. When we talked about it afterwards, he said he's so worried 
that he won't have any more surgery, that PT will be so successful that that was the reason he had a pain. Like he just, like he just could not tolerate the idea that PT could maybe preclude him from further surgery. So he had that pain increase. And then since then, we've been working at that. So we started breaking down our goals further and then talking about, well, what if surgery isn't the ideal option? Then what? You have to ask these questions. And then you can see towards the end of our poster, we have the date 1025. And that's when he finally agreed to start seeing me outpatient. It was like a tipping point in his progression from a behavioral um, health perspective that that ED visit sort of triggered that next level of therapy together. So he's been seeing me outpatient since then once a week. I think that part of your poster is very interesting because I don't think many people who practice in the pediatric realm would think to involve psychologists or a psychiatrist. And a lot of systems are probably not designed to automatically incorporate that. I think that's actually really important takeaway from your your poster is that the fact that you guys were quick to involve a psychologist or psychiatrist in your team to to help meet the needs of this particular patient. I don't think a lot of teams are designed or equipped to add those kind of additional resources for our adult patients. Yeah, I think that's a really unique characteristic about our program in particular. And I know at previous institutions I've worked at, for issues like these, you do consult a pediatric psychiatry team or even a palliative care pain team, but those teams see all different sorts of pediatric patients. And so to be able to have a psychologist on our team who is only dedicated to our cardiac patients and who really knows the needs of our cardiac patients is really unique and and great. And the other side to that, being embedded allows flexibility in our schedule. So for example, they were able to consult me that day and they say, please come up today. And I was able to go because I'm part of the team. I'm not, a, I'm not an add-on or a consult service that has other people to fit around. And that definitely, I think, serves our community because I think, I think the next wave in cardiac functioning and pediatrics is really addressing the whole, the whole system, the, whole, the family, the patient, but across multiple domains. We don't want them just to survive. We want them to, to thrive and do well. So sort of integrating a multidisciplinary team can really help with those, with those goals. Excellent. So tell us a little bit more about the, the next steps for this patient. Yeah, so I think the big takeaway points from this particular case are really in chronic pain in adult congenital heart disease, it's really important to know the difference between organic and non-organic pain and to keep both of them on your differentials. So really, you know, first and foremost, you have to treat the cause of physical pain, but then you have to be able to incorporate other services like psychology, like PT, um, to be able to really enhance the functionality of the patient, to elicit the patient's goals for treatment, and to really treat the patient as a whole. So I think that's where we're going with this particular patient. And in his case particularly, so the last time I saw him, he actually came in for a surgical consult last week because one of the ideas was that he may need a sternotomy. We may need to go deeper. Um, and he came in very fixed that he wanted this until he realized the, the magnitude of the surgical intervention and the potential lack of benefits. They might not bring him what he wanted. So uh, he was Wednesday he left very distressed. And then I saw him Friday. And... Again, his affect was brighter, and he said, you know, essentially what he said is, I didn't realize 
how big this was. And, and he, he was beginning to, to wrap his brain around the fact that maybe going down to a pain of zero, which I've been trying to work on for a while with him, that maybe just living with a three is, is where we can be and you can be functional with that, might not be feasible for him. Uh, and that, the way that manifested is, so for months now, they're a very religious family, and the, for months now, he's been talking about going to this young adult group, and there was always a reason. He would never go once a month, and he would never go, and we would try to problem solve around it, and he couldn't really give me a good enough reason. But Friday after the consult and realizing, realizing the surgery might not be the ideal intervention for him, we really, we used some wonderful CBT techniques and really problem solved going to this young adult group. And why is this important is because it allows him socialization with peers. It allows him to get out the house. Then he's not thinking about his pain. He feels then more confident that he can achieve more, that he can live with pain by going to this group. So we came up with a really good plan. And I, I was a little nervous. I was like, I don't know. You know, every time we've come up with a plan, he sort of reneges on it. And I went to PT on Tuesday before I flew out to London. And um, he, he, actually, he actually did it. He followed through with the plan. He went. He stayed uh, for all the hours that he thought he would only last for an hour, but he actually stayed for the whole night, saw friends, was socializing. He, he, he said he had a great time. And that was a huge change for him because he had really been isolating himself and sort of stuck in this narrative that things will never get better for him. He's, he's going to be, he's a burden to his family that he wants to be more than his heart disease, but that's all he is, you know? So it was, um, so Tuesday was great to see him so happy and such, uh, so engaged in PT. So you mentioned it for the less familiar audience. Can you describe for us a little bit about CBT? Yeah, so cognitive behavioral therapy is one of the most evidence-based intervention paradigms in psychology. And the, the reason it's, it's so well-researched is because it's, you can break it down into different pieces and work through it, right? So it's very measurable. And it's based on cognitions, behaviors, and, um, and feelings. And the, the whole concept behind it is that when you have an event in your environment, it triggers an automatic thought that uh, may or may not be rational, which is based on previous exp experiences and expectations and possibly distortions and catastrophizing, right? Which then leads to a feeling. And then that feeling then drives a behavior. So, uh, and then that behavior then sort of reconfirms your initial cognition. So one of the ways you intervene is by providing cognitive strategies to challenge your, your thinking uh, or behavioral strategies to improve your mood, uh, knowing that your feelings are, are valid and appropriate and what, you know, you want to honor those feelings, but ultimately you want to challenge the validity or the, the rationality of your initial cognition. And his was, why bother? I'm, I'm not going to know anyone. This is going to be really hard. And then he told me, you know, that makes him feel lonelier. And then, then he's just more likely to isolate and then feel worse. So we were able to come up with some cognitions to challenge that. And then came up with some strategies, some actual strategies while he was there. Because he was so nervous about talking to people. And so then just even reminding him, I mean, they're all Catholic. You're Catholic. There's an immediate connection there. You don't have to dig too far. There's already an automatic space in which you connect with this group. So... That, I think that made him feel more comfortable, and he was able to sort of challenge himself and go, and, and then giving him permission to leave if he wasn't feeling well versus forcing himself to stay through the whole evening and then leaving. The other thing about psychology is you don't want to leave when something becomes aversive, because if you stop when it becomes aversive, then you're less likely to go back to it. So the whole thing with him was to, was to get him to stop before any activity became aversive, so then he can feel success instead of failure. 
So that's what we did, essentially. Yeah. So in the cardiac intensive care unit, we probably see less of this kind of chronic pain. But when would be a good time for us to consult someone like a psychologist or a psychiatrist if we feel like someone's certainly going to be at risk for these sorts of things? So I personally think it would be great to be able to involve a psychology team early in conjunction with our cardiologists who are specializing in adult congenital heart disease. So when pain starts in these patients, because we know it's a known association with ACHD, bringing them in early to those cardiology visits or having our adult cardiologists refer directly to our psychologists on within the congenital heart team, I think would be appropriate. So, and I've been working in the intensive care a system or units for the last four years. And I think you can start at any point with a psychologist because so with the younger children who may be experiencing some discomfort and then you have parental accommodation, you know, by intervening early, you can really change the flow of the parental response that can then, so it's, it's what we had talked about earlier with Ali, like an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So if you can reframe and reorient early on, then you're less likely to have these more chronic issues down the line. So I think the earlier, the better. The way we've structured our team is that you can consult social work, psychology, or child life. And ultimately, we work close enough that we refer to each other. So sometimes child life goes in before me, and then they're very aware, well, this is Alex, you know, Alex needs to come in. This is sort of beyond my ability. And then sometimes I get consulted, and I think, you know, Child Life is a perfect program to intervene on this level. You don't need a psychologist. It's, it's taking the wrong tool for the job. So being comfortable with your own role and also that the team trusts you to take care of the patient. And that comes only through shared experiences, I think. So I think the earlier, the, I agree with Ali, the earlier, the better. You know, many programs actually involve palliative care from fetal diagnosis all the way through life. I think whether you have a psychologist work with a palliative care team or specifically with the ACHD team at your institution, having someone who kind of would recognize all the steps of that patient's kind of journey through life and hopefully, as you said, thriving is very, very important. Can I ask, was there more than this patient that inspired this work or in, or the creation of your team? Or had you guys noticed that this was a need that was being unmet? I think we sort of, we sort of ended up backwards into the adult congenital. So in fact, we're, we're all pediatrics and we started working with pediatrics and we've treated chronic pain with pediatrics and, and all that. And it happens that we started seeing the adult patients. So now we're sort of doing both. We're serving both communities. But I, I, it wasn't we said, let's create an adult congenital heart surgery team. It was really more we had a pediatric team that now serves this community. And then we, you know, I think we're very fortunate that we have the nimbleness to be able to, to meet these different populations from neonates to adults. Yeah, I would agree. I think this particular patient stood out to me I felt like I was able to relate to him because we're similar in age, similar to a degree in like where we are in life and the things we wanted in life. So I felt in particular like I was able to connect with him and be able to talk with him and influence, influence his goals and influence how he thought about things. So that's kind of what struck me in particular about this patient. All right. Well, thank you again, Alex and Alexandra, for speaking with me today about chronic pain in the adult congenital heart disease population. 
We enjoyed having you on our podcast. To all our listeners, thank you for listening to the PCICS podcast. Please don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please visit our website, PCICS.org. You can find more information on how to become a member and enjoy updated info on educational resources, meetings, job listings, and much more. The song, I Don't Know, by Grapes, was used under Creative Commons 3.0 Attribution License.